Welcome to another inspirational message by Pastor Ron Hammonds, Senior Pastor at Golden Triangle Church on the Rock in Beaumont, Texas. For more information about Church on the Rock and Ron Hammonds Ministries, visit cotr.com. Are you ready for the Word tonight? All right. Hey, listen, man, we are right after Easter. Right after this resurrection celebration, I am excited. But you know, even though Jesus on the cross, he said it's finished. And even though we have gone through last week the, you know, death, of the, the celebration of the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus, uh, even though he said it's finished, yet we have some unfinished business. And that's what we're going to talk about today, so, some unfinished business. And so I want to thank all of you that are watching as well, and God bless you. You know, God has a plan for your life. He will succeed, and you have a chance to participate. And there are two things that you do not want to miss. Number one of them is the rapture, okay? Don't miss the rapture. I mean, be there or be square, you know, uh, you know uh, get, get, get right or get left. Don't miss the rapture, all right? Because uh, that's something you'll want to make. The second thing you don't want to miss is this coming Sunday morning right here because God has been working in my heart a real word. I, I was told the last two weeks that I, that I preached rather hard and strong, but I feel this message this coming, this, this coming Sunday is going to be so uh, so good. I don't normally put a plug in for our services, but a couple things you don't want to miss this coming Sunday. Amen. Have you got your Bible? We're going to be going in a moment to the book of Luke. We'll be there just only for a verse. And then we're just a little bit later. I'm going to just stop by another place in the Bible in the book of Matthew, but we're headed to Acts chapter one. So you can get ahead. I promise to put them up on the screen and let you see them to make sure that we're following along with the word of God. But tonight, as I said, we're talking about unfinished business. We just came through this Holy Week and man, it is wonderful to remember and to celebrate what Jesus did on the cross and how he buried our sins and how he was raised on the third day. You know, Jesus, it is the truth, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus was born of a virgin in the town of Bethlehem, just as the prophets proclaimed. There are two questions that if you can answer either one of those in the affirmative, then that should settle everything else. Number one, was Jesus born of a virgin? If Jesus was born of a virgin, that should answer all the other questions questions. And a second question, if that is not enough, is was he resurrected from the dead, victorious over sin, death, hell, and the grave? If you can, you know, answer either one of those two questions, that should be enough for you to make him king of kings and lord of lords in your life. Just as the prophets proclaimed, Jesus fulfilled every prophecy. He is the Son of God, also the Son of Man. How can this thing be? That's what Mary said. How in the world can it be? Seeing that it takes, you know, uh, uh, more than just, you know, a woman's egg. It also takes the seed of a man, God fulfilled, God completed by the Holy Spirit so that Jesus, when he was born, was son of God and son of man. He was all man. He had to be all man. He had to be humanity. He had to understand what we understand, feel what we feel, go through what we go through. The Bible says he was tempted in every way, just like we are yet without sin. That means that Jesus, he was not born, you know, unable to sin. He was not born so that he was able, you know, uh, with, with some greater ability. He was born able to sin, had to be, or he could not have defeated sin in the flesh. He defeated, he, he defeated sin in the flesh so that he might take our place. Wow. Amazing. Well, he is the son of God and son of man. 
And he was well aware of his purpose. He understood the purpose. He understood the weight that was on him. And he understood the responsibility that was on him. Don't you know that he was very concerned? True. He felt what we feel. You know, he was very concerned. Weight was upon him. He even prayed great sweat drops of blood. He was so conscious of what he needed to do to fulfill his father's will, to fulfill the purpose that he had. He was so conscious of it. I mean, it was his every waking thought and every time that he was faced with a temptation. No doubt that thought came back that I cannot drop this ball. I cannot because I am the only hope of my father. You know, he did not have to. To not sin in order to be the son of God he was the son of God but he came in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin he was made like we are he condescended to our existence he put himself in our world he subjected himself the Bible says he for this time uh, and this season subjected himself to what we face it's amazing that he would do that. It's amazing that he would risk that. He could have sinned. He did not. That is amazing that he would subject himself to that. Wow. He knew his purpose. He plainly understood the reason that he had come. He understood that he had a goal and that his father God had a goal and that for a time he would be emptied of the glory that he had enjoyed with the father God since before the world began. The disciples saw him in just a moment on the Mount of Transfiguration glorified and they were surprised. They were shocked. They were amazed. But here he was as a man understanding exactly what he must do. He was the Son of God. He was all God. And in him, the fullness of the Godhead dwelled bodily. But he was also man. I don't understand how that happens. But I know that it did because God says it did. And so, Jesus plainly and clearly understanding his call and his purpose, he said to everyone at his coming out party, okay, in the city of Nazareth, whenever he had been water baptized and out in the desert and tempted in the Judean desert and had come back into Nazareth and went back to his little home church. Some of you have been to Israel with me. I take you to that church. I take you to the synagogue that is right in the middle. It, it, it's the old synagogue on the very, the, the, the very same that Jesus went to church when he was a little boy. It's where he learned to read and write. It's where he learned Torah. It's where he subjected himself and took a path to, 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 to become a teacher. It's where he chose that, that, that he would choose this profession, that he would choose to be this rabbi. It's where he was bar mitzvahed. We can go and sit in that very place. I have a life scripture. My life scripture is the scripture we're going to read in just a moment. It's a scripture that, that has been prophesied to me and given to me and been fruitful in my life. It's a scripture that God gave me whenever I surrendered to the ministry and felt as though that I could, could, could not do what God had called me to do. Miraculously, he intervened and gave me this scripture. He gave it to me and, and, and it's burned in my heart and I've gone to that little place and I've sat there in that little church owned by the Catholics now, the Franciscans, I think. I've gone there and sat there in the little church, you know, 
a, a few dozen times. Go with me to Israel this next March and I'll, I'll take you to that little church. It's right in the heart of the city of Nazareth, right in, 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 in the marketplace, in the center, center of that old city where only about 400 families lived at that time. It was a construction village. Jesus, a carpenter, that means construction worker. He was a construction worker. His, 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 his dad was a construction worker and it was thought that he would be raised in that and certainly he had to learn that profession, but he chose another route. But as a construction worker, he worked with masonry, worked with wood, worked with all types of mediums of construction because construction workers lived in that town and they served the Roman need to, 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 to build up the Galilee. In this little place, when he came back, he enunciated, he announced his calling and his purpose. When he was asked to get up and to read in that little church when he had just got back from you know, being baptized by John, being tempted in the wilderness. He's, he got back home and they, they, they asked him to get up and to read. And he got up and he found the book of Isaiah and he turned to the place. And this is what he said. Basically, this is my purpose. He said, this, is, this today is fulfilled in your ears. He said from Luke 4, verse 18, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and re recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed and to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord, the year of Jubilee. Then he closed the book. He said, he said, this word, these scriptures, this prophecy is fulfilled. Everyone knew it was a messianic prophecy. Everyone knew that it pointed at, at, at the Messiah. And here Jesus of Nazareth, one that was born in, uh, you know, in, in, in the town of Bethlehem and his family came back there to Nazareth and raised him up as a little boy. His brothers and sisters were running around. And here he says, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your ears. Messiah is here for the spirit of the Lord is upon me. He has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. Whoa. They got so upset. They drug him out of the church, the synagogue, drug him out to the edge of the city where a trash pile was, where they threw trash off of a cliff. It's also the place where they execute people. They throw them off of a cliff and then they go down to the bottom and chunk rocks at them till they die. They were so upset. And he turned and walked through the midst of them and they couldn't lay a hand on him. You see, Jesus knew. He knew his calling. He knew his purpose. He knew the importance of it. You see, but not only did they not understand, they could not imagine that Jesus, they knew him. They knew him as the son of Joseph, the carpenter, and the son of Mary. That's how they knew him. They knew his brothers. They, 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 they knew him. They watched him grow up, and he was without honor in his own country, among his own family, because they knew him so well, and, 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 they, and they could never expect that this was going to be the king that would absolutely destroy their enemies. It was going to raise up an army and, 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 and gather together all the followers, and, and they would march on their enemies, and he would destroy the Roman Empire, and he would, he would absolutely you know, set the captives free and set up his kingdom. And the kingdom, his kingdom, would rule the earth forever and ever. See, that's what Messiah meant to them. They couldn't see it. But not only 
could they not see and believe in him? But even after three and a half years of his disciples walking with him, they believed he would set up his earthly kingdom. They didn't understand this prophecy either. They didn't understand him. We've talked about that a few times. But imagine what they were expecting and imagine what he was expecting. You see, this message, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor and, 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 and you know, to heal the brokenhearted and, and to pro proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind and, you know, uh, and to set liberty to those that are bruised and preach the year of Jubilee. He said, you know, I've come to do this. And then on the cross, Jesus said, it is finished. He was talking about that has been finished. What I came to do, more than just that, but the one thing, that thing, what I came to do, has been completed. But what they didn't understand was he was not talking about a natural earthly kingdom at that moment. He was talking about something far more important, something far longer lasting than just destroying the Roman Empire and breaking their chains and making sure that, that the tax collectors didn't rob them anymore and cheat anymore. He was talking more about, more than, he was talking about an eternal message. They didn't understand. They didn't understand that what Jesus was talking about was an eternal deliverance. That the poor will have the gospel forever. That's why I came. I came to preach deliverance to the captives on an eternal platform. Not just a temporary platform. Not just get you out of jail, but I'm talking about get you out of hell. You see, this message first spoken from heaven through the prophet Isaiah was misunderstood for centuries. Jews and those who followed the prophets of Jehovah and the servants of Jehovah, they expected this kingdom to be tangibly in place when Messiah came and finished his work. Boom, it'd be done. They were looking for a strong militaristic leader who would gather people and they would march against the enemies and the earth would be theirs. It wasn't until after the resurrection of Jesus that even his close followers began to understand that the prophecies about Messiah were first and foremost eternal prophecies. You see, the message of salvation is an eternal message. Oh, yes, thank God I'm saved. I am saved. Yes, I am. Praise God for that. I'm happy about that. But one day, I will really, really, really be saved. <laughs> Whoa, that's something to shout about. I am healed. Praise God. I have been healed and I am healed. I am the healed. I believe that. I, I believe in faith. I am the healed. I believe in the healing message. I believe in laying hands on the sick and then recovering. I believe that. Oh, but one day I will really, really, I will, oh, I will be healed. I am prosperous. Yeah. And I have joy and I have peace. But one day, <laughs> woo! Oh, I'm glad about prosperity, but one day, 
<laughs> the street outside of my mansion is going to be paved in gold. I'm really going to be so rich. I can't, and the Bible says right now, I can't even think about it. Man, that's something to shout about. I have, thank God, you know, I'm not going to be hungry for another 40 years. I'm, I'm, I'm appreciative of that. But I'm so appreciative that I'm going to have a banquet table that's going to last me eternity. I am, I, I, I am never, ever, ever going to be hungry again. I'll never feel it. I'll never have tears. I'll never have worry or pain. Won't be tempted. Let me tell you, that message is an eternal message first. It ripples over into my nasty now and now, but it is for the sweet by and by. It is a good word. They just didn't understand it. Their beliefs that they held that Jesus would rule the earth, that the Messiah would, would set up his kingdom on earth were true, are real, and they're still real. But they were just not for that day. The first thing that had to be secured was eternity. The first thing that had to be dealt with was the sins that damned people's souls to hell that had to be dealt with. They were first aimed at eternity. Every promise of God is complete in Christ. It was completed at the resurrection, the eternal kingdom of God the Bible says, would not come with observation. But yet it was secure. The eternal kingdom of God is resident in each born-again believer. It is the kingdom of God in here. We don't yet see it out here. One day we will because there's unfinished business. Jesus was raised and seated in heavenly places until all of his enemies be made his footstool. He is the King of Kings. He is the Lord of Lords. He is healer and he is redeemer. He is good and kind and patient and true, loving. But we don't now see all things under his feet. But we see Jesus. That's the message of unfinished business. Jesus secured eternity first, and then he turned his attention on those things which he needed in order to accomplish his next goal. You see, his first goal of, of securing eternity, his first goal of dealing with the sins of mankind, his first goal of, of, of setting us free for eternity was accomplished on the cross of Calvary. He went to the cross for our sins. He was buried to carry our sins to the grave so that we would never have to face them and deal with them anymore. He was resurrected and given all power and authority so that he might accomplish the next step because there's still some unfinished business. You see, Jesus needs now to offer this eternal, or 
this eternity and this eternal security. Jesus now is in the business of offering eternal security to everyone who will believe upon his name and call upon his name to be saved. He secured it. It perplexed people. The disciples didn't understand all the prophets, all the scribes, all the scholars. They didn't understand beforehand. They didn't understand what was going on. And he even had to come back afterwards and spend 40 days on the earth getting them to understand that was the first step in my plan. I have secured eternity. Now I need to do the second thing, the next step, which he already told them as well. He told them what he had come to do. He came primarily, number one, to destroy sin so that the born-again believer would never taste of death. He had to do this as a man. He could not do it as God. He had to do it by subjecting himself to every temptation that we would face so that he might destroy sin in the flesh. That's the reason he came as sinful flesh. But his second goal was to establish his church in the earth. Very plain. He was very, very plain about this. It's one of the strongest comments that he made. This was to be accomplished by his followers as he sat upon his throne in heaven and directed them through his Holy Spirit to do what he said I want done. I want to establish my church so that the church can offer eternal security to everyone who will believe. I have destroyed sin. Nobody can stop it. I have the keys of death and hell and it is free. Salvation is free. I have secured it and I have, I have now uh, sat upon my throne and I am directing you by the Holy Spirit to go into all the world and to proclaim the good news to every creature and everyone who believes you know, and, and, and calls upon my name, they will be saved. I have secured now, church, I need you to realize that we are in phase two of my plan. What is phase two? Phase two, again, was to build and establish the church. What in the world is the church? The scriptures cast many reflections on the church. It talks about the church in so many ways. The scriptures call the church Mount Zion. You know, the body of Christ, the bride of Christ, the family of God in the earth, the army of the Lord. That's what we are called. The army of the Lord, the church. We are a royal priesthood. We're a holy nation. We are a very special people. We are called the generation of Jesus Christ. We are the city of the great king. All of these references and reflections of the church. We are the called out, called together, sons and daughters of Almighty God. We are heirs and joint heirs with Jesus. We are his brothers and his sisters. We are a holy habitation of God. We are lively stones built together as a church in the earth. That's what we are. That's what he calls us. And that was his purpose. You see, from the cross of Calvary, Jesus paid the debt of all sin forever. The debt every person's sin has been paid for. He did it. That's what he meant when he said it is finished. He was referring to what he said he had come for. 
Now, phase two. He, he's raised from the dead. And he spends 40 days telling his disciples and appearing. He appeared to more than 500 at one time. And he's teaching his disciples and he's telling them uh, what they need to do and, and, and how this thing is going to work. Why? Because he has a phase two goal, which we are in currently. We are still in phase two of the plan of Jesus Christ. From the cross, he paid the debt. He buried our sins. He defeated the devil. He took the keys from death, of, of, of death and hell from him. And then in the resurrection, he gave us victory over death and the grave. He secured his lordship throughout eternity. But after the resurrection, phase two, Jesus had a goal of building the church. That's why he invested time in a few people, precious time. Early on, he gave his disciples a glimpse of phase two. He told them in Matthew, the 16th chapter, in verse 18 and 19, he said, and I also say to you that you are Peter. He had just told Peter, you know, he, he just asked people, who do men say that I am? And, and, and they said, well, some say that you're Elijah. Some say that you're a prophet. Some say, you know, and he said, but who do you say that I am? And Peter said, you are the Christ. You are the son of the living God. He said, Peter, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven, he is the one that has revealed this to you. And he said, you know, you are a, a, a rock, Peter. And I will build, upon this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell, Hades, shall not prevail against my church. He said in verse 19, and I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be loose in heaven. There's some work. I'm going to do something through you. I, I have come to do some things. But then I'm going to do some things through you when I'm finished with what I have to do and only I can do. When on the cross, Jesus declared it is finished, he didn't mean everybody else can sit down. He meant I can now sit down. The Bible says that Jesus sat down and they went forward. He sat down, they went forward. We don't sit down and let him go forward. Okay, he did his work. It's our time now, our turn. You see, the next part of his plan was to send us out into all the world. The next step, building his church in a way that the gates of hell cannot prevail against it. I believe that this is one of the main reasons why Jesus continued to hang around after his resurrection. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 3, Jesus, uh, or the, the apostle Paul was talking. He said, for I delivered to you, first of all, that which I received, that Christ died. He's saying that Jesus told me these things. Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. And that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. And that he was seen uh, by Cephas. Then by the twelve. First Peter saw him. Then the twelve saw him. And, and, and then he said, and after that he was seen of over 500 brethren at once. Of whom the greater part remained to the present. But some have died. Some have fallen asleep. Verse 7. After that he was seen by James. And, and then by all the apostles. And, and, and last of all he was seen by me also as one born out of time. I wasn't there. I wasn't a part of that. But he appeared to me. And why was he appearing? He was appearing because there's still work to do. He was giving charge. He was giving encouragement. 
Praise God that, that we have the gospels of Jesus Christ. Praise God for Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Praise God that they tell us about the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. I'm so thankful they are powerful. But that's not where the Bible stops. That's not where the plan of God stops. For us, that's where it starts. It was all up to him before the resurrection. There was nothing anyone else could do. There's nothing you could do before the resurrection. Before the resurrection, only Jesus could satisfy that debt. You could not be perfect. It was impossible to please God. But after the resurrection, it's our job. Before we begin to read from the book of Acts, allow me to remind us that the Old Testament was given by God by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and it was the only Bible that the New Testament church had in the first century. They did not have a New Testament. They only had an Old Testament. When the Apostle Paul wrote to Timothy, And he said, all scripture is given by inspiration and is profitable for knowledge, for doctrine, for correction, for instruction, for reproof, okay? For instruction in righteousness so that we can live a right life. He was not talking about the New Testament being given by God. He was talking about the Old Testament. They didn't have a New Testament, hadn't been written yet, okay? The Old Testament covers a period of about 4,000 years. And it gives us an account of how God worked through the lives of one family he chose. Now, don't let me lose you here and don't get angry at me, but that's not the only people God was working through. That's just the only people we have record of. God chose to give us a record and he chose to send his covenant through this family and that's why he chose to tell us about this family. But it's very plain from even listening to, uh, to, to Elijah who you know, was a prophet in Israel when all Israel seemingly had turned against God. That's what Elijah felt. Elijah went off into a cave and said, God, I am the only one. And God you know, basically laughed at him. And said, man, I've got 7,000 people who have not bowed their knee to false gods that are serving me. Where were they? Elijah didn't know them. 7,000 is a pretty big number in that little country over there. Okay, where were they? We don't know where they were. We don't know the ones that Jesus said, I have, I have, uh, you know, uh, I have sheep that are not of this fold. We don't know where they were. We don't know. We don't think that, that the Bible is all there is to know, but believe that it is enough to know. And it is the word of God and nothing else holds the same level of authority as the Holy Scriptures that we have in this Bible. But don't imagine for one moment that God was also not working through myriads of other people. But he chose this one family to give us their lineage and to offer them a covenant through Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and to bring Messiah as a lion of the tribe of Judah and to to secure salvation only through him. There's not another and there never will be. 
But that is the reason why he gave us a picture of this particular family. God gives us enough. But there's no way that he can give us everything. The Bible says that, 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 that the, you know, the libraries of this world, the books of this world could not contain all the things that God did or that Jesus did or that, 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 that was done from heaven for mankind. The books, the books in all the world could not contain it. God loves everyone and is working with everyone. Okay? And this is not a multi-faith message, okay? His name is Jehovah. His name is not Allah. His name is not Buddha, okay? His name is Jehovah Almighty. Don't get mixed up here, okay? But God loves and reaches out to everyone. We don't know all the things that were going on in other families, but we do know what was going on in this family, and this is where we get our authority. This is where we get Christ. It's very important to realize that the Old Testament was 4,000 years of following the covenant of God that he offered to bring Messiah to a lost and a hurting world. And he brought him through this family. Boom. His name is Jesus. Okay. Jesus of Nazareth. He's not a prophet of any other religion. That is not the truth. He is the son of almighty God. Do you know the difference between our God and other gods? Not one of them has a son. Okay. If they don't have a son, if they don't claim a son, it's not our God. Hello. Okay. Just keep that straight because there's only one way and one savior. All right. So, yeah, it, it but... Let me tell you, as we're following this family, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, all the way through and Jesus, and we get to 4,000 years, it is a picture. It's God describing what he did with person after person, generation after generation, to bring Messiah to a lost and a hurting world. He did that. Jesus was born of a virgin, lived a sinless life, died an atoning death as the perfect and only begotten son of almighty God, as a lamb that took away the sins of the world, as prophesied and as fulfilled. 4,000 years. The New Testament is a picture of only 40 years. 40 years. Okay? That's all we have. That's not all God was doing. Our scriptures don't contain what Thomas did in India, but we know he did. Okay? The disciple, the apostle Thomas, it doesn't have it. But we know he did. It doesn't tell us all that Peter did in Babylon, but we know he did. He makes just one reference to it in the scriptures, but it doesn't contain all that he did in Babylon. When he went to Babylon and, and carried the gospel to Iran, to Persia. But we know he did. God doesn't tell us everything. But in that space of 40 years, we know that the New Testament is, is a... It's, it is the word of God inspired by Almighty God, by the Holy Spirit. It's, it, it has authority and power, but it is simply a testimony 
of what one home group did in 40 years. That's all it was. One home group. One home group meeting in an upper room. There were about 120 in that home group. And that's, that's, that's the whole New Testament. It's just a, it's, it's, a, it's a diary. It's a journal of what one home group did in the space of 40 years. These proverbial 12 boys leading a group, leading a home group, they took the gospel of Jesus Christ after Jesus had been resurrected, spent 40 days telling them what he needed them to do and told them, listen, the biggest thing I need you to do is go into all the world and make disciples, reproduce yourself. He gave them, again, those first five commandments that God gave to Adam and Eve in the garden. You know, multiply, replenish the earth, you know, fill it up, subdue your enemies and have dominion. Be fruitful. That's what he told them. Go into all the world and make disciples and, and you teach them to observe all the things that I've taught you and, and I'll be with you everywhere you go. I'll be with you always, even unto the end of this age, even to the end of this next step. Because the next step we're taking is a step to build a church all over the earth in such a way and with such strength that the devils and the demons and deception and all of the other uh, idolatrous pagan ritual can never defeat the church. Build it in such a way that the gates of hell cannot prevail against it. Now you go, he said. And the Bible says he was raised and he was seated. And then they were praying and they were seeking God for a week. He had told him in Luke 24, verse 49, you wait here in Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high. For I'm going to send the promise of my Father upon you. For John truly baptized you with, with, with water. But there is coming one that, that will baptize you. I'm that one. You're going to be baptized with the Holy Ghost. And what Joel said that I'll pour my spirit out upon all flesh is going to happen. You just hang right here in that room. Wait until you get that. And then I want you to go into all the world. And I want you to make disciples of every nation. They waited there one week Then it was on a Sunday that they were praying in one accord in Acts, the second chapter, and the Holy Spirit fell upon them like cloven tongues of fire. It set upon each one of them and they began to speak in tongues and prophesy. It happened and they opened up those doors and they went out in the streets and 3,000 people were saved in Jerusalem that day and the gospel went from there because there were in Jerusalem devout men out of every nation. There were people from everywhere and they all heard the disciples. They heard them as they were speaking in tongues. They heard them in their own language. There's a miracle in the hearing. They heard, they heard not with their ears, but with their spirits. They began to hear of the glorious works of almighty God and they began to be saved. 3,000 were saved and then they began to go out from that feast of weeks, from the feast of Shavuot. They began to go out and they went out all over the world. We don't have an account of where all the places, you know, we know some were from Crete. We know, we know they're Parthenians. We know there were Serenians. There were people from everywhere. 3,000 evangelists were born again and filled with the Holy Ghost and became evangelists and went out into all the world. 
We don't have accounts of that. But the gospel spread around the world in short order. But the account we do have of this 40 years shows that was the first little revival they had. There were a bunch more. And they began in that 40 years. I mean, Paul just preaching at one school for two years in the city of Ephesus trained up young Roman soldiers from Asia Minor. And the Bible says, so that all the world heard the gospel from that one place in Ephesus. Because Rome ruled the world and they went out as young Roman soldiers because that was the training ground. Ephesus, a quarter of a million people living there in that time. That was the training ground right there. You know, come with me to, to, to Turkey sometime. Bill, we had a good time there in Ephesus, didn't we? Yeah, uh, I've been with Bill uh, so many places. Right, right, man, right from there, we, we, we were there. That was the training ground for all the young Roman soldiers all over Asia Minor. They went back home and carried the gospel. Listen, God had a plan. The plan was, number one, to, to, to spend 4,000 years preparing a people so that Messiah could come. But that's not the only people God was working with. But he showed us that this isn't the only people. Paul and, and Peter and James and John aren't the only people that God was working through in those days. But he told us about these. He gave us enough. And when Jesus was raised and seated, then he worked through them to accomplish phase two. And we're still working on phase two. I'm going to only be able to read the, let's read a couple of verses and then we'll save some more for next week, okay? Acts 1, verse 1. The former account, by the way, Luke is writing this, the same one that wrote the book of Luke, okay? It's a physician. He was a Gentile, the only Gentile that wrote anything in the Bible, uh, that wrote anything in the New Testament. The former account I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and to teach until the day in which he was taken up. After he through the Holy Spirit had given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen. You see, the book of Luke contains all the things that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up. Now he's going to write the book of Acts as a second account of all that Jesus did by commandment through the apostles after he was already in heaven as he commanded them and directed them through the Holy Spirit. Jesus is working through them now. And that's phase two of the gospel of Jesus Christ, which we are in today.